Well, hello again. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. So if you want to turn there with me, you can. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. And to give you a little context about Matthew uh, as we start to check this passage out, uh, this is uh, written to a primarily Jewish audience. And in the 400 years or so between the Old Testament writings ending and the beginning of the New Testament, uh, Jewish faith has taken on uh, some serious attention to rules and a serious intention, attention to concern about the things that are unfolding in and around their region. Jews have faced and are wrestling with the powers of the communities that surround them in this intertestamental period before Matthew is written. Sometime 20 to 30 years after Jesus' ascension is when we see uh, this book penned. And these Jewish people uh, that this book is written to, uh, to bring them to salvation in the gospel, is written to a people who have attention again to the rules of righteousness, following what they understand God is telling them to do as dictated by their religious leaders. And so they're bound under some anxiety and some struggle in the challenge of what it means to be right uh, according to the leaders that are telling them how to live right. In addition, there's turmoil in the region. Uh, There's challenges on all fronts to these people. And so as Matthew, uh, who we understand uh, was likely the writer with some contribution uh, from Mark, as he's writing this letter, he's keeping in mind that these people he's writing to are under the anxiety of rule and challenge and are under the anxiety of the pressures of their society. And that's the context that we find ourselves in as we again look at Matthew six, twenty-five through 33, which says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This morning, as we celebrate our graduates, we know that for them ahead uh, are many new things. New schools, new friendships, new romances, new jobs, new roommates. But also as we sit here, we can say, if we take a snapshot about any point in any of our lives, even now as we speak, there are in this room new marriages, new children, new towns, new empty nests, new career changes, new grandchildren, new retirement. And in the beauty of newness, we can get lost sometimes in the sentiment of our dreams. 
in the sentiment of our plans and the goals we have for us and those around us. And before we know it, we can convince ourselves that our concerns for the future and the way we would like things to unfold justify compromising on what we know is right and true. On compromising on what to do with our time, our money, our personal commitment to our faith. And with a world who tells us that our goals should be our primary motivators, our families should be our most significant concern, our financial future should be what guides us in the decisions we make, Jesus can be lost somewhere in the distance. We can take on the trappings of faith, church attendance, telling others we are Christian, having good moral values, and meanwhile, while we focus on our goals, our dreams, our purposes, sidelining the sacrifice of our life with which Christ demands from us. We fool around and we fool others around us. And sometimes we can fool ourselves. We shortchange ourselves in the abundance of what this life has to offer, meanwhile not taking advantage of the abundance which Christ promises us when we follow and pursue him. So this morning, as we consider all these endeavors before us, all these new things, as we worry over how we can get what we want out of life, I want to encourage you to ground yourself in the gospel and its message for your future. For when we ground ourselves in the gospel, we are called out of worry, we're called out of deception, we're called out of just following the rules, and we're called into a relationship of love, a relationship of trust that affirms us that if we follow Jesus Christ as Savior, what he has in store for us could never be of our own making anyway. That when we trust Him, when we follow Him, all the trappings of this life which we toil over are achieved and sustained instead by Him. If we look again at Matthew 6, 25-30, considering the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, we find that we are called to ground ourselves in a diligent faith, graduates and others this morning. I think it's often said, why worry when we can pray? But I believe many of us live by the mantra, why pray when we can worry? And Jesus' response to that question is pretty clear. He considers and calls us to consider the daily function of the birds and the flowers. In considering this passage, Pastor John Piper says this, it's essential to note that this is not an excuse for idleness. Birds, though fed by God, Don't sit on some branch waiting for the food to be dropped in their beak unless they're baby birds being served by their parents. They search for it, and they find it. They gather insects, they gather worms and seeds, they prepare their nests, they care for their young, they teach them to fly for their own food as seasons dictate. They migrate to where food is. They do all this by instinct because they're endowed by their creator with this instinct as his way of caring for them. And they don't overdo a good thing. They don't build barns and store it up like the rich fool in the scripture. You see, when we are discussing little faith in this passage, the Greek here doesn't mean an absence of faith. It means a deficit of faith. God's word isn't addressing those who sit here this morning in this particular part of this passage who are wayward thinking they can somehow earn their salvation by their works. Rather, he is addressing those who profess faith in Christ but cover our worry with what we sometimes call concern. When in reality, if we were to see what kept you up last night, 
We were to see what gives me anxiety daily. We were to see what ruins your weekend as you pondered and thought about all the things you should have said or done. We might find worry instead. What Jesus is saying is this, the opposite of faith is worry. And in this case, worrying over our futures and the new things that are unfolding in our lives. You see, the birds couldn't worry over their future because they can't store a whole lot of food for tomorrow. So they didn't give it much consideration. The birds understood that they were going to do what God made them to do. They were going to fly. They were going to sing. They were going to care for their young. And they were to trust that in the daily things, their food, the tree they would rest in, whether or not their feathers would come in, those things would be controlled by God, not by them. So what if we were to do what God made us to do instead of focusing on all the things that we wish we could do? Preach the gospel to our neighbors. Pursue study of God's word and faithful prayer. Raise our families not to follow us, but to follow Christ. Do you think God would take care of our daily needs if we did that? Jesus answers that question by pointing to the flowers. In first century Palestine, anything that would grow, trees, plants, grass, would be used for fuel. Some of the flowers I was studying this week that grow in that region will bloom just for a number of days, and then they'll be thrown in the fire. God's Word tells us that He Himself put into each plant what makes us marvel at them. Their color, their texture, their smell, their beauty. Our God who who puts all that attention, all that focus, all that energy into something that just lasts for a moment and then is thrown into the fire. If our God puts that kind of attention, that kind of energy, that kind of focus into a flower that's gone in a day, what more does He do for us in preparing us for the things that He desires to unfold in our lives? God's Word is saying to you and me, if God put that kind of splendor into something which only lasts for a few days, would He not care for you that much more? The answer is yes. You will never shake off the anxiety of sorting out the next steps of your life. You'll never trust God with your daily life, your bill-paying, child-raising, job-working, family-growing, retirement-planning life if you don't ground yourself in the diligent faith of the Gospel. Your worry over your future isn't your preference. It isn't an option. It isn't an oversight in your character. It isn't put in you by God. It is sin. It is sin. And it is a sin which, is, if it's not addressed in your life, will lead to compromise. It will lead to prize your career, you to prize your career over Christ. It will lead you to focus on your family over your faith. It will lead you to drive profits over prayerfulness. It will lead you to grow your home over growing your hope. It will lead you to obsess about your appearance over the appreciation for what God has done in your life. It will lead you to chase relationships over righteousness. It will lead you to pursue the power that you can have over the piety of your faith. It will cause you to gain possessions over peace. It will turn you into a man who desires sex over true satisfaction, a woman who desires security over sanctification. It will make you a student who craves success over the Savior. 
It will make you a mom who desires for your children to be praised over children who praise God. It will make you a dad who desires for your kids to be good over children who pursue the only one who is good. It will make you a businessman who seeks bonuses over blessings. It will make you a retiree who chases comfort over Christ's likeness. And it will make you a Christian who wants to be right over being right in the eyes of the Lord. And for some of us this morning, we've already fallen into those traps. And I want you to know that as we sit here today together, we, and we ponder these ideas about our own understanding of our dreams, goals, worries, and concerns, that we are not left alone here. That our Savior gives us a direction and a clarity about who to, how to pursue Him with righteousness and in salvation in such a way that He will add unto us all the things we concern ourselves over so we can pursue the gospel and pursue dispensing the gospel to the people around us. If we're not careful, we'll find a life that's consumed by our thoughts for the future, not our trust in the Savior. But with Christ, we will find a life which is grounded in the gospel, growing in peace, trusting in Christ, and like a bird, doing what we were made to do, and letting, letting God take care of the rest. So if this is the life of peace and assurance that you desire this morning, graduates, as you consider your future, others who are on the waning days of what your life might have unfolding for you, if this is the peace you desire, wherever you are, at whatever station in your life, then listen to the words of Jesus as He reveals how we can shake our worries and take on the wonder of giving our whole lives over to Him. Again, looking at verses 31-33, through 33, they say this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are called to ground ourselves not only in a diligent, disciplined faith, but ground ourselves in salvation. Last week, I had two unique privileges. First, to talk with a six-year-old about what it means to be saved in Jesus Christ. And I also had a chance last week to talk with a 99-year-old about why God has left her here to live and what His purpose is for her. For the six-year-old, we discussed sin and eternity and how to be forgiven and how to be with Jesus forever. And whatever his concerns and questions were that day, peace was found in Jesus Christ. And for the 99-year-old, we discussed how she lived her life and what she understood her calling to be now. She recalled wondering whether or not she had accomplished all she had wanted and why God even let her live. But ultimately, whatever her concerns and questions, her peace was found in Jesus Christ. As you listen this morning, we've covered a list of all kinds of worries and concerns we might have. You may be worried over your health and why you have a particular ailment, or you may be wondering about your family and whether or not they feel loved and nurtured, and you may be worried over your loss and why God took that person from you, or wondering about your future and what your job will be. The Scripture tells us to seek first, above everything else, the kingdom of God. This phrase, kingdom of God, in its original language, meant salvation. To seek salvation first. Do not worry, but seek first your salvation. And Christians this morning, that command didn't stop when you got saved. We're called to continue to seek after Christ. We're assured in our salvation when we come to Him once, but we continue to rest on, lean on, and count on the promises of God well beyond when we're saved. 
Do not worry, but seek first your salvation. For some here today, Jesus is calling you to cast off your worries and concerns and trust that He died for your sin, rose from the grave, and if you believe in Him as Savior, that He will take care of all the things you worry over. And He will forgive your sin and give you a new path that's full of peace, joy, love. Not worry. And He will take you into heaven and be with Him forever when you die. For others who have already trusted Christ as Savior, He's calling you to come back to Him from where you started at. You were moved to trust Him with your eternity however long ago, yet as you sit here today, you can't trust with your tomorrow. He's calling on you to allow the Holy Spirit to move in you, to trust that He will take care of all the things you worry over, I worry over. Recommit yourselves today to trust Him for the daily matters of this life. Graduates, commit yourself today to say, as I go out into the journey that's before me, in life, career, family, that I'm going to trust that God will enable me. That I'm going to follow Him faithfully. That I'm going to give my energy, time, and focus to serving Him in prayer, in evangelism, in discipleship, and in worship, instead of toiling over the trappings of this life. Our passage goes on to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. A story is told about a man named John Wanamaker, a 19th century department store owner in Philadelphia. Within a few years after he opened up this enterprise, it would become one of the most successful businesses in Philadelphia. But not only that, he was also the postmaster general of the United States. And on top of that, he was also running the largest Sunday school program in the United States at the time. When someone asked him, how could he hold all these positions at one time? This is what he said. Early in life, I read this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. My Sunday school ministry is my business, and all the rest of this are the things that God has added to me. One evidence of his desire to keep the Lord's work first in his life was he made a special soundproof room in his business. And in that room, he would spend 30 minutes a day just praying and worshiping before he would ever do anything related to the work that was before him. Another story story is told about a violinist named Patricia Travers who was recognized by her peers and honored by being given the opportunity to play at Carnegie Hall more than once. And she was asked the secret of the mastery of her instrument. The woman answered this question, planned neglect. She said this, there were many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after, after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted, and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned over to my violin practice. And that system prevented me from accomplishing what I should have been focusing on. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice in my faith was complete. And that program is what made me successful in every other avenue of my life. Our focus must never deviate from this truth. Christians and non-believers alike listen this morning that we ought to be in hell because of our sin, every single one of us this morning. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is payment for our sin, if we believe in Christ as Savior and Lord, we can be forgiven. And no matter how far away we are from when we made that decision, it should be our daily motivation to serve God and serve those around us. Not just to take care of all the concerns of this human life, adding God in on the side, but rather grounding ourselves in a diligent faith and salvation that beckons us to proclaim the gospel in our life and our speech, 
and every opportunity that He puts before us. But again, this life that is abundant and filled with peace and doing away with all the things that we worry over regarding our present day and future, regarding our dreams and goals, is only found on the other side of seeking Jesus first. The argument really is profound. The argument this morning is powerful, and this is it. Life is a gift from God. And as long as He has designed to give it, He will sustain it. He does it with the animal world, and He'll do it with you. God has given you a greater gift than even they have. Don't you think that He'll give you the lesser gift of food, clothes, and such to sustain it? If He's made you His own, if He's brought you into His kingdom, if He's provided for all your spiritual needs, if He's concerned that you live to His glory, don't you think that He'll provide the necessary things to do that? And I said necessary things. Not all the things we want, but the things we need. There's a major difference there. If God gave you the gift of life, He'll sustain it. If He gave you the gift of physical life and called you to serve Him in this world, whatever happens to your body and your health, He'll sustain you if you seek Him. The abundant life is only found on the other side of faithfully praying to Him to grow your faith. It's only found in faithfully knowing His character by knowing His Word. It's only found in faithfully being a part of a Christian community like this one where we can love one another, encourage each other, and walk with Jesus together. And it's only found in honestly examining your hearts this morning and saying, I'm placing my plans over God's purposes, my worries over God's work, my dreams over God's desires, and repenting, and then trusting Him to add righteousness unto you. And then He will take care of all these things. It's a role reversal, where you're no longer God in your life, but He is. Your life is no longer worshipped, but He is. Your way is no longer followed, but He is. Pray that God grounds you in this truth whatever your next steps are in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good and beautiful Word of Matthew. We thank You for the Word that You provide to Matthew and now provide to us. And God, as we consider what it means to seek You first above all these things that we seem to make a priority in our life above You, Help us to know that you are a sustaining God who will keep us no matter what ailments we have, struggles we face. If we seek you first, then you will take care of all these things. Help us to know at this moment in this prayer as we are called upon to think on, to seek the difference between these things and what it means to seek salvation and righteousness in you. Move in us, God, please. Beckon us, God, please. Cause us to bow at knee, God, to You, please. Lord, I pray a special prayer for those graduates here and we've mentioned who are looking out into the next steps of their life. They don't have to make the mistakes that I've made or others have made. They can follow You disciplined and faithfully and I pray that You call them to do that, to do whatever's necessary to do that. And for those of us who sit here this morning, myself included, who have put all of our attention on the trappings of life rather than righteousness faithfully and true, help us to know we can come to you this morning, repent and commit to grounding ourselves in our faith. Amen.
This morning, as we sing a hymn, I'll be down front, of course, to pray with you if you'd like, but I encourage you today to make a new and fresh commitment in your life, whether it's in salvation or in obedience to seeking His kingdom first. Pray that commitment today. Stand for invitational hymn. that from